0: Welcome to Sparrow Speaks, the podcast with the latest health news and information from Sparrow, Mid Michigan's premier community health care leader. I'm your host, Deborah Howell, and today we'll be talking about something that's elusive to so many of us a good night's sleep. And about when maybe it's time to ask the question, do I need a sleep study? Our guest is Dr. Jennifer Ely, a pulmonologist and medical director of the Sparrow Sleep Lab. Welcome, Dr. Ely. Thank you, Deborah. I'm sure everybody wants to be your best friend because they all have questions for you, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I get a
1: lot of questions. Yep.
0: Well, let's begin with this question: What is a sleep study?
1: Well, that's a great question. So a sleep study can be done a couple of different ways, and so sometimes we do them in a sleep lab where you have to stay in the night away from home. And we do that with people who have things like sleep apnea, narcolepsy, and occasionally we can do it at home and things like that. So if you were to need an in-lab sleep study, because we thought you had sleep apnea, we would schedule you an appointment. You'd come in about an hour before bedtime, get familiar with the lab, meet the tech, and then they're going to kind of gadget you up a little bit. Almost seems like it's head to toe, which essentially is. Some on the scalp, looking for brain waves. A couple up on the eyes, helping us look for eye movements. One underneath the nose, looking for airflow. And we get a little one underneath the chin, helping us to see if you have... Muscle tone that helps us to know if you're in dream sleep because you're actually paralyzed in dream sleep. And that gives us a great indication there. And so we'll have some EKG leads as well because some people who have sleep apnea occasionally have some irregular heartbeats and we like to know what's going on. So we get those as well. And then you get a band around your chest one around your waist. If you're having apneas, we like to know, do you make an effort to breathe? More than one type of sleep apnea helps us to distinguish between those two. When you get one on the finger, it glows red, tells us what your oxygen levels are doing. And a couple on the legs, looking for those restless legs at night. It all feeds into a central connector. So that way, if you did need to get up in the middle of the night, use the restroom, things like that, just disconnects. You get up and the tech would help connect you back in at night. Now, if you had something like narcolepsy, you get to stay for a day study. So we look at you at night, see how your nighttime is, make sure there's nothing else going on at night that could explain something that would be causing you to be super tired during the day. And so if we think that you could have narcolepsy, you get to stay during the day for a nap. So you get to nap five different opportunities there and you lose some of the gadgets you had at night. You're still going to keep the the scalp leads, looking for the EEG. You're going to keep the chin one. You're going to gain some arm leads and keep the leg leads and the rest you'll get to get rid of and they'll tuck you in about every hour and a half two hours and say, hey, try to fall asleep. And if you do fall asleep, they're only going to let you sleep for 20 minutes. So, so oh, maybe really? not as a refreshing nap as you would like to have. Oh. And, and so they're looking for things like, do you fall asleep during those naps? If you fall asleep, how long does it take you to fall asleep? And then really importantly, do you dream during those naps? And so that really helps us to see, do you have something like narcolepsy? Are you what we call pathologically sleepier during the day than you really should be?
0: So, interesting. You don't let them sleep more than 20 minutes, is that because you don't want them to reach a REM state?
1: Yes. So what we're looking for is REM. So what we call a sleep onset REM, which we would see in narcolepsy. And and normally that first stage of dream sleep or REM sleep would occur in about the first 70 to 90 minutes of the night for most people. And so if it happens early on, that would be consistent with narcolepsy. So we don't want people to go longer than that because that could blur the diagnosis for
0: us. Got it. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. You know, there's so many different sleep disorders, but only some require a sleep study to diagnose. What are some of the most common problems that are seen in adults?
1: So what we would really need a sleep study for, sleep apnea hands down, is by far the most common thing that we use a sleep study to diagnose. That can be done in lab, can be done at home with a home sleep study. Narcolepsy certainly is another one, not nearly as common, but really does need to be an in-lab sleep study diagnosis. A few other not as common ones would be something like REM sleep behavior disorder. I had mentioned earlier you, you're paralyzed in dream sleep and that's wow. a built-in safety mechanism. So we're not acting out our dreams at night, which is good for my husband. I'm <laughs> the, a hopper in the middle of the night. But if you lack that you can act out your dreams and and that could be a a huge safety issue for patients, for their bed partners. So, you know, if we suspect that, then certainly we'd like to see you in the sleep lab so we can capture those moments because they don't happen every night there. But there's issues that you don't have to have a sleep study for. Insomnia is a big one. That one is a clinical diagnosis and really we'd only want a sleep study if we suspected that it coexisted with another sleep problem. Do you have sleep apnea? With it as well because they can fuel or feed each other. People who have restless leg or at night we call periodic limb movements of sleep generally put patients in the sleep lab for that because that's a clinical diagnosis as well. Again, unless we suspected something else was going along with it and was fueling it as well.
0: So let's drill down a little bit. What is sleep apnea and what are patients at risk for if this goes untreated?
1: Okay, that's a great question. So, you know, sleep apnea And there's actually more than one type of sleep apnea. What happens at night is your breathing changes and we have these pauses in our breathing. So our breathing stops completely in apnea. Sometimes our breathing becomes very shallow and our oxygen levels drop with it. We call those hypopneas. But those can cause you to have disrupted sleep. Your body's smart enough to say, hey, this isn't right and it wakes you up sometimes to a lighter stage of sleep, sometimes all And we often fall back asleep so quickly just don't register in that to long-term memory. So it fractures or fragments your sleep during the night. And so the most common form of sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea, is what most people know about, where there's physically an airway obstruction. For most people, the tongue rests against the back of the throat and creates that obstruction there. And so that's what we see. People will often come in and someone's told me I stopped breathing or gasping or choking or snorting. And that's waking up from one of those apnea events there. Less commonly, we can see people who have what we call central sleep apnea. And that's literally where your brain tells you not to breathe. Not nearly as common And there's usually underlying health issues that help us point to that. Oddly enough, heart failure can be a common thing that causes that central sleep apnea. You can certainly see it in people who have had a stroke before in the past or something else, like a brain mass, things like that. And we commonly see it in patients who use opioid medications there.
0: Got it. Now, what are some things that might suggest a sleep study could be warranted?
1: Oh, certainly. If if you're having poor quality sleep, that would be something that would make me want to think about it. So signs that we look for when we talk to patients is, you know, do you have trouble falling asleep? Do you have trouble staying asleep? You know, certainly looking for those insomnia questions. You know, are you snoring at night? You know, are you waking up at night because I'm gasping for air or choking or trying to get that breath in? Or perhaps someone else has told me that. My sleep is just disrupted or fragmented during the night. I get eight hours of sleep and gosh, I just don't feel rested in the morning. I need to roll over and go back to sleep. That could mean there's something wrong with your sleep quality. Morning headaches are a frequent thing that we see with sleep apnea and certainly daytime sleepiness. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be terribly tired to have sleep apnea, but certainly that is something that we frequently see. You may see things like, you know, difficulty concentrating or problems with that short-term memory. Those things are linked to your sleep quality. And so if your sleep quality is not nearly as good as it was, those things could be problematic as well. So, you know, if you're starting to check off one or a couple of those boxes, then maybe it's time to talk to your doctor about, do I need a sleep study?
0: You're doing God's work. That's all I know. Because I don't know <laughs> any woman over the age of 30 who can't, you know, who can really just go to bed and just sleep without any <laughs> aids. So anyway, can you tell us all that's offered at the Sparrow Sleep Lab? Oh, certainly. So we are a full-service sleep lab.
1: So we offer night studies. So we call them nocturnal polysomnography. And so we do those infants to adult. So there are kids issues as well that we do, do there as well. If you are a day sleeper. So lots of people out there work second and third shift. We'd want to get you into the sleep lab when you sleep during your night. So we do 24-hour studies so that we can capture patients during the time that's optimal for them. We do offer those nap studies. We call them MSLTs, that multiple sleep latency test is what that stands for. And we do home studies as well. So we do offer kind of the full gamut when it comes to sleep studies. For those who are already have sleep apnea we do have a troubleshooting clinic which is a phenomenal service for patients and they're great for mask fit because that's probably the biggest obstacle to overcome with individuals who have obstructive sleep apnea is getting that mask to fit and fit well so they're comfortable with it so they can fall asleep with it so it's not disrupting their sleep just as much as their sleep apnea was before they were treated.
0: It's a big subject and very important and uh, we need our sleep. So is there anything else you'd like to add to our conversation, Dr. Ely?
1: Certainly your correct sleep is a huge topic and we could talk about this certainly all night long. But if people are out there and they're truly worried about their sleep, a good night's sleep is not overrated. And while no one gets a good night every night, if you're not getting a good night most nights, talk to your doctor. There are a lot of things that can be done to make good sleep, and not all of it requires a sleep study.
0: Okay, well, you're giving us a lot of hope today, Dr. Ely. Thank you so much for the great information. What a pleasure to have you on with us today. Well, thank you, Deborah. It was a pleasure being here. Sleep well tonight and get some rest over the weekend. Thanks. You too. To learn more about the Sparrow Sleep Lab, visit sparrow.org/sleepcenter, and be sure to subscribe to Sparrow Speaks in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts for our additional healthcare topics. I'm your host, Deborah Howell. Thanks for listening, and have yourself a great day.